Australians have a saying. Well, they've got, we've got a lot of sayings, but we've got uh, one saying in particular. It's, uh, it's a fair go, mate. Now, give us a fair go, would you? Who's, who's, heard, who's heard a fair go? If you're not, then um, hand in your passport. It's, uh, it's, a part of, uh, it's a part of our culture, right? Fair go. Um, and I was thinking about this this week, uh, this saying uh, uh, in particular, and uh, the, the question really that, uh, that came up for me was the simplest question is, is uh, why? Why should, uh, why should everyone be granted a fair go? You know, when someone says, oh, fair go, mate, come on, you know, give, give us a chance. Why? Like, what, what is it that informs this, this, uh, this saying? And, and I think that we believe that uh, we deserve it. Right? It's not, it's not overly complex. It's like, give us a fair go. I believe that I'm entitled to, or I deserve a fair, a fair go. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I'm a reasonable person. So would you give me what is fair? What do you give to someone who's reasonable? You give them a, a reasonable response, right? That's a fair exchange. Uh, but at the, at the same time, um, instant karma videos prove that we also think there's a bunch of people who just deserve a good whacking, right? Like, we just, a cop pulls someone over in front of you for speeding and you drive past so self-righteously <laughs> with the smuggest look on your face, just like, you sucker, right? Like, at the same time, we've got this sort of fair go thing. We've also got this, this understanding that there's a bunch of people out there that just, like, you know, someone says a harsh or a mean word to a friend and they turn around to leave and they trip on a bar and they smack their head on a pole or something. You're like, ha, you know. Somehow these two uh, things, they sort of coexist. He got what he deserved, but fair go, mate, all right? We hold these uh, sort of realities in tension. Um, we're going to look at the, the story of Joseph today, and it's a, it's a story of suffering. There's a lot of suffering there. And I think that one of the reasons that we struggle so much with suffering is that we don't think it's fair. It doesn't seem fair to us. I don't deserve this. This isn't the way that life works. And, and suffering ends up uh, blinding our picture of God and, and it chokes our faith. So we're going to look at, at Joseph's life and see how, what a different experience suffering can be for us. Because uh, Joseph gives us uh, almost a different reality entirely when it comes to suffering. So we've been, we've been in the book of Genesis for uh, four weeks now, uh, looking at the, um, the, you could tell me what they are by now, but looking at the Toledos, the, the narratives that the book hinges around, right? So we looked at creation and the flood and a couple of patriarchs, and, and this week is Joseph, the, the final sort of scene in, in Genesis. Um, so what, what really what you could say, you could summarize uh, Genesis so far uh, as just being the story of God. Um, all, and in each of these stories, they tell us uh, things about God and about His character that help us to form our faith, um, help us to understand our place and, and what our faith looks like in response to these enormous realities about God. So today we're going to look at Joseph. Um, just to set the scene really, really quickly, last week, uh, you recall we talked about... Just giving you a chance... Jacob, great. Isaac and Jacob and that family and, and the whole mess there. So Jacob has, um, goes on from that scene and he has kids um, with his um, wives and, and concubines. And the family is a mess. Um, eventually, he ends up having uh, 12 sons, right? So Joseph is the first 
son of his preferred wife, right? So again, messy families in the Bible, there's nothing um, new here. Um, so Joseph, the, 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 the guy that we're following today, is the, um, the second youngest of these 12 um, kids, but the clear favorite, right? And, and we know a lot of the story of Joseph. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to give you, I'm just going to quickly catch up to speed on, on the key scenes of his life. And then I want to sort of, um, I want to um, microscope into a few reflections that he has looking back at his experience. Um, so the first sort of setting we get with Joseph, his dad, um, right, dad favors him. And we, we know the story where dad makes him a coat and his brothers hate him for it. And, and the, the scripture actually says that, it says his brothers hate him. Um, and, and then furthermore, to add to that, right, um, Joseph's a favorite um, dad makes him a coat, and it's like that's like a sign of um, royalty, right? It's righteousness there. Uh, he has a dream, has a couple of dreams that imply his brothers bowing down and serving him. Um, and into an already pretty hostile environment, Joseph's like, I mean, guys, I've, I just got to share. There's something on my mind. I, had, I feel really tired today. I'm sorry I can't do much work because I didn't get much sleep because I had this wild dream. <laughs> it's like, seriously, man? Uh, they don't like hearing this at all. Um, he tells them this dream and these, these dreams about his family serving him, right? All of your, all of your um, uh, piles of wheat bowed down and, and to mine. Mine was in the middle. And they are just not stoked. Um, he goes to visit them and they're like, let's kill him. Let's kill our brother. We are that angry. We hate him that much. Uh, we, uh, let's kill him. And they, they sort of argue about this for a little bit and they end up throwing him in a well uh, we'll just throw him in the well for now. That'll do. Some, some, uh, some foreigners are traveling through on the way to Egypt and they sell him as a slave. Um, they, they take his um, beautiful coat and they tear it and they dip it in the blood of animals and they give it to um, uh, the, the blood of um, uh, their livestock and they give it to our dad. And dad is, um, dad's heartbroken, right? His favorite son. Killed by, uh, by wild animals. And that's the first little scene that we have of Joseph is this sort of early family life scene. Um, it's not great. His brothers hate him. Uh, he's betrayed. He's sold into slavery. And his dad's deceived um, by his brothers. Uh, the second little scene, um, right, we arrive in Egypt. Um, uh, Joseph is sold into uh, uh, Potiphar's house. Uh, Potiphar is a leader in Egypt, he's a captain, uh, and Joseph prospers his household. Um, chapter 39 says this, the Lord was with Joseph. Um, so, so Joseph's work there, he, he, he's really faithful and he stewards the opportunity there, works well. Um, but then the next little moment of tension right in the story is there's this woman who's got her eyes on him. And it's not appropriate at all. It's, it's his boss's wife. Um, and she's just keen on him. She wants to lay with him. And he persistently refuses, right? Um, don't read this scene as like this one-off moment. It's, it's this, re- this reoccurring uh, desire. And one day, at the point of tension, um, when they're alone in the house, she grabs his coat and he denies her again, consistently denies her and he runs away. Um, and, and she falsely accuses him and he's thrown into jail. Right? Two more scenes. In jail, he prospers again, right? He's in jail. He's in this new sort of circumstance. He prospers and the warden trusts him and, and um, sort of 
uh, uh, leaves him alone uh, to take care of his responsibilities. Um, Genesis 39 says this about him in jail. And Joseph, uh, sorry, and the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So while he's there, we get back to this dreams thing, right? Um, while he's there, a couple of prisoners are added, uh, uh, join him, and he interprets some dreams that they have, right? Uh, and, and they prove true. Um, in a couple of days, one of you is going to get exalted, one of you is going to get exalted on a rope, um, and, uh, and that it happens, right? Uh, the ch- the, the, and then and th- they're released, uh, one of them's killed, one of them's exal- exalted, yet... Um, Genesis 30, or Genesis 40, sorry. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him, right? So just this little moment where you're like, oh, this is looking good. Something goes right. He's forgotten. And the final scene here, um, two years later, uh, Pharaoh has a dream. And no one can figure it out. He's asking all of his wise men, and no one can figure it out. And the cupbearer remembers. Oh, that's, oh, my goodness. How could I forget? The guy who... Saved my life from prison. He's a, he's a dream guy. He's done, he does stuff with dreams. Um, and Joseph's called to Pharaoh and he correctly interprets Pharaoh's dream. Um, and, and he's exalted, right? He's made to be Pharaoh's right-hand man and he begins administering the process uh, through which this famine is to come that, that Joseph uh, interprets. And then, this is, this is where we're, we're going to sort of uh, zoom in. His brothers come to visit him. They're running out of food. Like the, the, the entire uh, region, the whole area is running out of food. It's a, it's a significant famine. Um, and the story comes to a point of tension. Now, right, you know from the story, right, this famine is so significant that um, uh, Joseph administers the process of literally, literally buying all of Egypt for the Pharaoh. That's how bad it is, right? They, they sell everything they have um, to Pharaoh just uh, for food. So we're going we're gonna to zoom in here. Genesis uh, 45. Um, you can open your Bibles if you've, if you've got one with you there. We're going to zoom in here. Um, I've given you the contours of Joseph's life and they are not, um, they're not great, right? So uh, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, um, uh, falsely accused uh, by uh, Potiphar's wife, time in prison, forgotten in prison. Uh, It's been a pretty rough ride so far. Um, uh, Remembered, uh, exalted to Pharaoh's right hand, uh, and then is administrating Egypt at this point in time. His brothers come, uh, and he's Egyptian, right? So he's He's, uh, his brothers cannot recognize him. He is, he's dressed and, and, and groomed like an Egyptian. So they look at him and they don't recognize him. He looks at them and he, he recognizes them immediately. And they have these series of interactions and these conversations and it comes to a, a, a high point here. Um, and he, he tests them and he wants to examine uh, their response and how they love their dad and how they love their little brother and and, and where they're at, and, and Genesis 45, we're going to pick up here. Genesis uh, 45, 1 through to 8. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. 
And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve, your, uh, to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all of Egypt. Now just let me give you a little contextual note, and then we're going to just dig into a, a couple of scriptures there. Just note what the writer is doing with the story here. Um, uh, this, is a, this is a narrative, right? Um, I think often we open the Bible, we open Scripture, uh, and we just think about application. All right, Joseph, all right, he endured. Great, I need to endure. That's great, man. That's a great Bible reading for today. Thank you very much. It's fantastic. But, but just, just remember, this is a story. This is a story. Like you would watch a movie... Right? You, you watch a movie and you think about uh, the narrative. You think about the story that's happening. Think about the story that's happening here. Um, and let me just give you a few, a few things or a few contours that you might reflect on. What's with the dreams? What's the significance of dreams here for Joseph? You know, at the, sort of the beginning of the story for Joseph, he dreams. Uh, and then he has these other dreams with these prisoners. And then he ultimately uh, 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 interprets Pharaoh's dreams. What's with the dreams? Or what's with the coats? Right? So... At the start of Joseph's story, um, his, his coat is used to deceive his dad, the one who would, is lord over him, right? And then uh, uh, at this other high point in the story, his coat is used to deceive um, uh, Potiphar, right? The, the woman grabs his coat. And at both times, um, people are deceived with his coat. What's with the coat, right? You see that these tools of story... Uh, that are used in here. Uh, think about the overarching story of Joseph uh, and contrasted with Jacob. Uh, uh, both of those narratives begin with the father being deceived and the brothers being treacherous. Remember that last week? Remember the father's deceived? This old uh, uh, man is losing his sight. He's deceived by uh, this treacherous younger brother. And then you just jump down a generation to this next narrative where. This father is deceived by treacherous brothers. Um, Both of those narratives include a 20-year cycle of separation with the younger brother living in a foreign land. See this? Like back here in in, uh, Jacob and Esau, Jacob flees and he moves to a uh, foreign land and he's separated from his family for 20 years and he doesn't reunite with them for two decades. And that's the same for Joseph. Joseph uh, is, is sent to a foreign land and he doesn't reunite with his family for 20 years. Think about the, what, there's these parallels, right? Uh, incredible use of story. Dive into story. Uh, uh, the the other, other maybe contour you could think about is think about the blessing of the sons. Um, and this is where they're actually, they're actually contrasted. They're not actually parallel. Um, uh, well, they are parallel and they're contrasted. Uh, uh, Isaac gives blessing on Jacob uh, in deception. Jacob gives blessing on on Joseph's 
sons, not in deception. Um, and then these, there's these beautiful parallels. What does this do? What, what does this do for us? It helps us to understand the way to listen to Scripture. Like, how do you orient yourself when you read God's Word? What are you looking for? Are you looking for an application? Are you looking for an answer? Or are you just are you listening to the story? Are you listening to the contours and, and, and what's happening with these people, with these characters? This is, that's the starting point for us. All right, we're going to zoom in on, uh, on verse uh, 5. Uh, and we're, gonna, we're just going to sit there for a little while. I'm going to draw a few um, reflections out. We're just going to listen to what... Um, listen to Joseph's response. We're looking at his life. Uh, we're looking at all of this uh, hardship and all of these events that are not fair at all. I mean, fair go, mate. Like, I mean, my brothers are here. I mean, you get out the, you get out the iron fist and, <laughs> and you, you show them who's in charge, all right? Look who it is, boys. Look who's here to serve out some justice. So you can go home hungry I'll give you a little bit for Dad and, and, and Benji because I care about those guys, but the rest of you all, you can all get stuffed and you can go back home. But look, look at his response here. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. What? 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 Like one of the big problems with the it's not fair statement is it makes it about us, doesn't it? Like it puts us in the place of God. I have the full picture and, and the ability to discern what is right and wrong in this situation. I can see clearly. And from my clear vantage, it looks like I've been wronged and this is what should be done about it. And this is a trademark of our culture, isn't it? Like This is the, the trademark. Um, Tim Keller calls it the sovereign self. A little while ago, it was all about tolerance and, and relativity, but that's not enough anymore. Now, every person is his own ultimate authority. I am a sovereign self. I call the shots. I decide what is fair and what's not fair. I have the ability to decide on ultimate moral good and truth. And we put ourselves in the place of God. It's not fair. How do you know? Like, who are you to make that call, to make that decision? So Joseph says, uh, in light of his, his, uh, his, his own sort of life and story, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. He had every right to say, I'm coming for you guys, right? Or at least it looks like to us. It looks like, I mean, based on your life, Joseph, whew, I mean, you, got, you can you dish it out, buddy. But it's not about us, is it? Now listen to, I'm going to break down uh, this little second half of this. He says, for God, and we're just going to stop there. We're just going to pause there and then we're going to to look at the next two phrases. In Joseph's story, there's no great outcry because he recognizes that God is over all. Look at how he responds to his brothers. For God, not for me, for I, God is weaving a story here, folks, right? God is at work. God is uh, uh, the focus of Joseph's story. God is the person who Joseph has his mind on in the middle of his suffering. Listen to Job 40 here. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me 
that you may be in the right. Are you going to blame me? That's God. So are you going to blame me? Have you an arm like God and can you thunder with a voice like His? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. And the reality that informs Joseph's, Joseph's response here is that God is over all. That ultimately, God is the one who sits over all judgments, over all wrongs. He is the one that the story is about. And the temptation for us in the middle of our pain and, and trial and suffering, the temptation is to make the story about us. It's not fair. It's about me right now, and I need someone to respond to me. It's, it's me that the story is about. And that's the temptation. I'm just going to curve everything inside. You over there, you need to pay attention to me. You over there, need to, I'm hurt, and, I, and I'm in trouble, and I need you all to pay attention to me. Just imagine Joseph replying, right? Imagine, imagine the reply of Joseph, you worthless pack of wolves, I will have my justice, Right? You thought my coat looked bad when you tore it and dipped it in blood? Just wait till I'm finished, right? Just imagine. But no, the story is about God. The story is still about God and it's about what He's up to. For God. And furthermore, life, life isn't a matter of you are good and God is helping you to get better, get, get better right? One more point here on this, this whole it's not fair thing. It's not fair is you concluding that you're a reasonable person. Right? Just think about it for a second. Like think about uh, what's underneath that. No, no, no. You, you, you're not a reasonable person. Like in, in the eyes of God, you are like minus 50,000 on the scoreboard and your, your, your best efforts were filthy rags and you deserve death. And in that state, God brought you back to life. So it's never a question of what's fair. But look at the depths of His grace towards us. Right? Look how, look how deep it is. God redeems even the worst of our lives for good. In, just think about this a little bit more. In, in the trials of our life, God doesn't say, got what you deserved, mate. You know, he doesn't say that. God doesn't look at, our, look at the difficult parts of our life and say, God, what you deserved. He says, just wait till you see what I'm going to do with this. For God. God's up to something. He is doing something. I can't see it, but I know that, that God is at work here. And right along the way, we see mercy at every turn. You see, when we look, uh, look, when we look through the lens of fair we often expect our righteousness to mean a lack of suffering. When in fact, it's, it's almost the opposite. Suffering becomes a means of producing righteousness. For God sent me before you. D do you see what Joseph is saying? Can you, can you hear the weight of his words? You betrayed me as your brother. I mean, you guys were... I mean, I mean that was... You guys were something else, right? Like, thanks a lot. 
But really, it was God working to establish me here. I mean, you, you, guys, you guys played a role in that, but really, God went before me to orchestrate my journey. And, and listen to what Joseph is doing. Joseph is reinterpreting his suffering as a means of God's grace. You selling me into slavery, uh, Potiphar's wife falsely accusing me, the cupbearer forgetting about me, that was God sending me. It's like, what? That, that just doesn't add up. And I think, I think the ceiling in suffering for us sometimes can be that God helps us to persevere. And, and the best case scenario is that I get by. I mean, it sucks, but I'll make it. I mean, I hope I'll make it. And that's the ceiling. The ceiling for us, the high point is I just... I just need to get by. I just need to persevere. God will help me to persevere. But look at Joseph's response. It, it, this, it flips that totally on its head, doesn't it? All of a sudden, the ceiling is the floor, and we are standing on perseverance. Like the minimum is perseverance. The minimum is God is faithful, and He will preserve me. And that's the starting place. But the ceiling right? The ceiling, the height becomes, this, this suffering is a means of God's grace. This, the suffering that I've endured is the vessel through which He pours His grace into my life, right? And, and the, the floor, like, it's like, what? That's totally backwards. Everything is upside down. And I know God is going to do something so fruitful and so beyond me and so ultimately good that I can hardly wait to see it. And all of a sudden, the, the floor, right? The minimum expectation in suffering is that God is faithful and He will preserve me. And the ceiling is, this is a means of His grace to me. And I can't wait to see the fruit that comes out of this. And it reminds us of our dependence, doesn't it? Our humanity reminds us of His majesty his self-sufficiency and it reminds us of his providence god's god's working it together for us he is sending and shepherding and leading his people there is a king overall doing just what he will and lastly to preserve life for god sent me before you to preserve life the grace that he extends is life right that the the grace that comes through suffering is life he wants his people to flourish that is god's uh, desire for his people he wants his people to flourish god took your evil and he used it for good god took your wrong the wrong that you did against me and he used it for the good of his people so, so listen to this, the, the fuel for perseverance in suffering, right? So we're talking about the floor here. The fuel for perseverance in suffering is God's commitment to His people. Just let me say that one more time. The fuel for perseverance in suffering is God's commitment to His people. We need to remind ourselves of God's intention and God's thoughts and God's commitment toward us. Psalm 37 27, turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. 
they are preserved forever. Right? Can you, can you hear that? He will not forsake his saints. He will not forsake his saints. I committed myself to you. That's what God is saying. Listen to Jeremiah 33. Listen to how strong his commitment is to you. Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David my servant may be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. What's he saying? He's saying, I made a covenant with my people and I intend to keep it. So, so my commitment to you, my commitment to you, my people, is so unbreakably strong that for it to break would be as earth-shattering as the day not appearing after a night. Like, can you imagine how shattering that would be? Like, we just, it's night, and it's like, oh, it's 7 a.m., gee, it's still pretty dark, and it's midday, and it's like, still no sun, and it's like the, what, okay, pandemonium, the earth freezes over, it rolls off its axis. It's like God's covenant breaking would be as earth-shattering as the sun not appearing one morning. It just wouldn't happen. The sun comes up in the morning. That's what happens. The sun comes up. We, we know the sun's commitment to the earth is that it'll come up the next day. And in the same way, we know that God's commitment to us is that strong. So, so think about this. It's, it's one thing to look at suffering and say, God loves me. I can persevere. Okay, I, I, I can do this. I've got this. And it's another thing to say, God loves me. He's got this. He will keep me and he will persevere me with his steadfast love. He is working. He will work through this and through these trials to bring about good. And I can't wait to see that. He has it under control. I trust Him. I trust His perfect plan. I trust His kindness. It's in His hands. That is another way to respond. Let me draw Genesis to a close by reading a, 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 sorry, a scripture in Genesis 50. And then I just want to summarize Joseph and, and the story of uh, Genesis as well. This is Genesis 50. This is the, um, this is the very well-known response that uh, Joseph gives to his brothers um, after dad dies. So Gen- Genesis 50, 15, when Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So straight away, right? Like straight away, they're, just, they're back to their tricks. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. It's like, Oh, Joseph, you weren't in the room, but just before he died, Dad gave us a secret message and here it is. <laughs> it's like, Guys, seriously, like seriously, after all that has, has transpired, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. And listen to Joseph's response, right? Listen to the reinterpretation of his life and of his suffering. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? 
As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The the summary of Joseph's story and the summary of the book of Genesis is, is humans keep choosing evil. Humans keep turning away. Humans keep rebelling. And we keep thinking they're screwing up God's plan. We're like, ah, why would you do that? (laughs) Like, what are you doing that for? Humans keep choosing evil, but God keeps turning their evil back into good, doesn't he? Look at the people that we've considered. Abram, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau. None of them have a clean sheet, right? None of them. Like, you, you might go, oh, Abram had it all right. Do you remember what, two times, remember what he did with his wife when he went to a new country? Oh, this is my sister. Uh, We're not, like, we're not sort of, I'm just going to live in fear and I'm going to pretend like that's my sister and put you all in a bad place because she's actually my wife and if you you did anything, um, you'd be cursed. And none of them, none of these people have a clean sheet. And people keep choosing evil. They keep choosing wickedness and God keeps turning their evil into good and He keeps using them to fulfill His promise because God is committed to His promise, isn't He? So committed that we see the greatest picture of this on the cross. You know, the the story of Joseph foreshadows the story of Christ. God died in an act of evil. Humans chose evil. We wanted him dead. Right? The cross is a, is a tremendous act of evil. God took the worst act in history and made it into the greatest good, the ultimate good, an act of redemption for his eternal family. Isn't that amazing? Right? If God can take the greatest evil in history and bring about the greatest good, man, that gives me a little bit of freedom, doesn't it? Right? That gives me just a little bit of release. Uh, uh, I'm not carefree, but I mean, that lifts a little bit of a burden off my shoulders. What am I worried about? If God can take the, the worst evil that humanity has ever seen and turn it into the greatest good that humanity will ever know, why am I so worried? Why does the story need to be about about me? Because of what he has done with Christ, I'm free to trust him through everything. The cross is the picture that we need to see in suffering. God takes the darkest evil and redeems it. And that's our hope. That is the gospel hope for Joseph and for us today, that God takes the worst evils and he uses them for his ultimate good we're going to uh, we're going to finish with a song today and uh, and rejoice uh, together so if you want to stand i'm going to i'm going to uh, read a, a psalm and then i'm going to pray for us and uh, we're going to sing together
Let me, uh, let me pray for us and then we'll sing and I'll, I'll read to close. God, would you, uh, would you help us to take hold of you this morning? Holy Spirit, would you help us to see clearly uh, uh, the providence of God in the story of Joseph? The great uh, plan that you had uh, underneath, lying underneath Joseph's life. Help us to reflect on the significance of his words when he, when he responds to his brothers and their wickedness against him and, and reflecting back on his life on the trouble and the suffering that he endured for years and years and years to say with, with uh, such uh, freedom, God sent me before you. But that, that trouble, that suffering was God sending me. And that is, that's just, it just seems too much to take hold of sometimes especially when we're in the middle of trouble. So would you, by your grace, help us to see today? Help us to take hold of you. Let me close by reading to us the uh, second half of Psalm 37. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. Amen.